Welcome to The Haber Show. Today, I'd like to bring my friend Henry Abbott of TrueHoop.com onto the show. Henry and I worked together for about a decade covering the NBA while he ran the True Hoop blog at ESPN.com. And for a while, he was my boss. And yes, I still like him a lot, um, e- even after all that. He runs TrueHoop.com now and covers the NBA unlike anybody I know. We'll talk about the newly issued 113-page memo, the health and safety protocols of the NBA's restart plans in Orlando. We'll discuss what the science says, what the handbook says, and what he thinks about the restart plans and the Black Lives Matter movement and why Kyrie Irving may have been onto something. So without further ado, my conversation with Henry Abbott. Henry Abbott, um, I understand that you have a problem biking and that you were a big time runner, always giving me, actually when I ran my half marathon at Disney World, topical. I um, about that, yeah. Yeah, on my 30th birthday, I ran uh, yeah. 13 miles for yeah. whatever reason. Um, and I remember you sending me like this, this, I asked you, I was like, Hey, do you have any tips about running a half marathon? Because you wrote me, uh, the equivalent of the NBA memo <laughs> that just went out to teams, 113 pages, Henry, Abbott, you wrote me like a huge memo of like 37 seconds before you go out, mm-hmm. drink your coffee. And no, that oh, was- that's not what I said. <laughs> <laughs> I would not have said that. <laughs> that would be hours before. <laughs> um, and so I, I, I ran the marathon I, or half marathon. It's very yeah. different than a marathon. And it was great. And thank you for yeah. your help on that. But I understand that you um, have switched uh, your allegiance from running on your feet to cycling and pushing pedals and moving really fast down mountains. This whole thing is just, it's like the last thing I want to talk about in public, but let's do it. So, all right. Yeah, I see myself as as an athlete, I'm a person who like, I'm not really myself if I haven't exercised that day. I'm not good at watching TV. I'm not good at sitting still. And it's really screwed up. Wait, are we cursing on this podcast? Yeah, not? yeah, that's fine. Okay, it's really f***ed up <laughs> for me in an NBA context to talk about myself as an athlete, right? But compared to like regular people, right? Compared to everyone at the mall, I'm an athlete. Like I work out six, seven days a week. I've run a bunch of marathons. Um, I think, it, is this count as elite running or not? I don't know. Probably not, but like, like I usually finish with like the first women. And if I'm in an event, I'm usually around. Hmm. I'm very good at pacing women. If you want to qualify for the Boston Marathon as a woman, I'm your pacer. All right, I got this. <laughs> I've done this. So you know, I'm a recreational runner. Oh, here's another good measure of where I stand on this. There are people who have very fancy equipment and talk about running all the time, who I beat. <laughs> yes, <isn't that> <laughs> I like that. Yes. And now, Tom, here's my life goal. I have one remaining life goal as an athlete is um, I'm capable of growing a silver beard. Like literally, I could grow a, a, a 70% gray haired beard. I want to train like hell for something, some event, some, some 10K or something, and have a big silver beard and beat young people. <laughs> That's my goal, all right? <laughs> yeah, but so, I'm, I'm looking at my father-in-law's uh, marathon time. He's run the... And this, I guess, is a good segue into things, but he's run the marathon <laughs> in, or half marathon, sorry, half marathon in Louisville, Kentucky for every year of the last, like, 50 years. Yeah. And this year they canceled. Yeah. For the first time, I think, since he was a young man, he, he is not able to run the half marathon. And they just canceled it, like, two days ago. And he kicks my ass when we go running and he is 75 years old or whatever awesome that's the and whole goal that's the guy he, like i'm looking at his like hour and 41 minute or whatever it is time on the half marathon and he's like oh 
How was your run today, Tom? Did that? Yeah. Um, I was like, how was your, how was your, uh, how was your run today? I was like, oh, I just did three miles up and down the hills and in the neighborhood. And he's like, oh yeah, I just did seven. All right. I'll see you later. And I'm like, oh, so, um, he's the guy. Yeah. So now, uh, quickly you, you, you have a bandage on your arm. So then I, yeah, then I did years of road biking, didn't have a major accident. Feel need to add that this last winter, it became clear that my son's like an amazing mountain biker loves it super good at it it's a very technical sport and not to him he just does it like a beautiful he just like you could make the youtube video of how to from his first trip out i don't even know what's going on so he would ride with my friends like 45 year old 50 year old men and my son and then i would just run while they're i'd drive them to wherever you go mountain biking i would run and after a certain amount of months uh, my friend's like why don't you just use my old bike and you can have it so now why am i not biking it's really yeah, weird not to don't bike. have an excuse anymore just running next to people who are biking when they have a bike for you is really strange. <laughs> so every single weekend, all through the pandemic, all through the winter, including like, you know, 18 degree days, like we didn't miss a weekend. We went mountain biking every single time. And I just was a guy who got off for every difficult obstacle. And then I would ride them slowly and a little more cautiously. And I guess about two weeks ago would be the first time that I started to feel like, you know what, I can kind of do this. Like I'm not the worst mountain biker every time I go. And um, that's exactly when I started having accidents. <laughs> like I, I had a bad crash in front of a bunch of people uh, two weeks ago in a bit and tore up my arm and I hit my face for a while. I was doing bringing it in with a big bloody welt in my face. And then uh, I took two weeks off. And then last Sunday I felt my arm had healed sufficiently and um, I, I thought I would be cautious. And I just, I mean, I've had two significant wrecks and they were, with the two consecutive rides and I hit the same arm in the same place. And the second time it was, it was like war movie carnage. It, my arm is disgusting yeah. right now. Like, and I'm on all kinds of meds. Like I had to, it was an event at the doctor. They were like, one of <laughs> so many great things at the doctor. I've seen five doctors about this second injury. And um, uh, they all want to like take pictures of it to show their colleagues. They're like excited about it. Like, Oh no, you're that. Um, you're like, yeah. hi. Um, I'm a real human being here. I'm not a, a little guinea pig to just. And like the killer away. line was like that my normal doctor was like, um, she's like, uh, you need a specialist, antibiotics and bike lessons. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm yeah, sure so you're going to listen to that third one, right, Henry? I honestly, like I have a real decision to make about whether I'm hopping back on that bike and when and how. And to be honest, like the more I'm computing it in my head, the more I'm like, I really am. I think I really am going to find someone to like, I really need to crash less. I just do. Like, I don't think I can give it up. I A, kind of love it now, but B, like I, I'm driving there with my son regardless. So I'm yeah. back to running with him or I'm just biking better. <laughs> That's what I really need to do. <laughs> so um, the false sense of security that you had after two weeks from, since your initial crash, you got really excited about how good you were and then you fall and then you- I know what you're doing right now. And I know then, what you're doing. And then you decide, you know what, everything's okay. I'm going to go back and, and uh, resume life as normal. And then mm -hmm. it's a bad thing happened again. And I uh, mm -hmm. feel like that's America right now. Henry mm -hmm. is, is you know, my arm. America's my arm. <laughs> America's like, oh, wow, look at America with the uh, coronavirus. And uh, hey, look, look, this country's like watching your arm and saying like, hey, look yeah. at they can't they can't get the curve down. Um, so anyway, so I had a I had a uh, an interview with Neil, Dr. Neil Gandhi at Emory Rollins School of Public Health. And he's an infectious disease expert. Uh, before coronavirus, he was a tuberculosis um, like expert and about transmission and like all this stuff. And uh, he's become just kind of this coronavirus nerd. Um, and I, I say that uh, 
affectionately as, as a nerd myself. And he is a Knicks fan and he was in these interviews, like just dogging the Knicks. And he was talking about how, you know, the big thing that he wants to get people to know is that we are not bringing sports back because we are in a better place. We are bringing sports back because we're tired of not having them. And his point was the science is still really scary. We don't know exactly how this disease is transmitted. Um, we don't know the long-term effects. And obviously the social distancing efforts in a lot of areas around the country are not going very well, including Orange County, Florida, which is where the Orlando, uh, the Disney World Resort is, is hosted. Um, the NBA's restart is gonna be in what is uh, happening as a surge of coronavirus in Orange County, Florida. And that is where the NBA is planning in three weeks, less than three weeks, to send all the players to come down on these 22 teams to resume the NBA season. And last night, the, uh, a memo, a 113-page memo, and then I think a 33-page memo, two memos went out to the players and, the, and teams outlining their health protocols, uh, the NBA's health protocols, to get this thing off the ground. And Henry, I, I wanted to bring you on the pod today because you had, a couple weeks ago, sent the NBA league office 20 questions about the resumption of the NBA season or the health protocols and some really, you know, interesting questions. Now that you've, and I'm assuming you've had a chance to kind of look over and not with a fine tooth comb, but look over the, the material. Do you feel like they answered the 20 questions that you sent two weeks ago and they said, hey, look, we're not ready to answer? They've certainly answered some. Like for instance, one of the questions was, will players be allowed to visit other parts of the Disney park? For instance, Disney World. The answer is no, right? They can go outside to go for a jog and they can golf and they can, this kind of stuff. But, um, you know, yeah. outdoor restaurants maybe later, right? But yeah, so, okay, so that's a good answer. Uh, we sort of have some answers about like the testing protocols and the quarantine protocols. Um, that's great. Um, we don't have answers to a lot of questions. So, you know, will the local numbers, local population numbers affect the NBA's play or will they need shut down under any circumstances? No answer, right? Um, July a little bit of an answer. Of a little bit of an answer. The okay. little bit that they had was, I think in, man, there was a little snippet in there about how they are planning to not shut everything down or suspend the season for a small number or an otherwise unexpected rise of corona uh, virus. There's no actual number of, hey, if we see this number of tests, positive tests, we're going to shut things down. It was just, hey, we, if there's a small number or an, an expected number, we're not going to shut things down. But they didn't specify like, hey, if there's five infections in one team, we're going to shut things down. Or if there's 20 infections or three, they were not specific. And I, and I guess maybe we shouldn't expect them to because that's, that's a, that's a, it's, it's kind of a moving bar. Well, so... To me, you're either a bunch of basketball executives with all the political pressures on them, right? With they they're, have a certain obligation to the White House and a certain obligation to the billionaires that run the league, et cetera. And they're, you know, science has a hard time being heard in that environment, right? So to me, the purpose of publishing protocols, it's sort of like, you know, publishing the rules at your swimming pool or whatever, right? The idea is to avert on the spot decision-making that's subjective to all of human frailties, right? Mm -hmm. So. And to me, on the, these key questions, they've fully maintained the ability to make decisions behind closed doors, and we don't even know who's making them, right? Like, so it's like, you know, so your point of talking about some, a certain number of tests inside the bubble, for which 
we don't know how many would shut it down. Also, we don't know outside the bubble, right? So after, when I was in the midst of interviewing tons of people who do this stuff for a living, I did not interview that doctor you talked about, Emory, but several others, and they helped me come up with this list of questions. And, and mostly, you know, and every single one of them, I noticed I, every interview included, this will be an interesting experiment, was the thing they said, right? Like nobody <laughs> said like, yeah. they've nailed it, right? But, um, but the, then eventually I come across the Women's Flat Track Derby Association, this is Roller Derby, and um, they have published their plan, which has very clear rules. And so it's basically, it is what Adam Silver said the NBA would have, which is the data, not the date. So roller derby is um, all over the planet and it's all these independent leagues. And so the central office isn't opening the leagues, it's just giving them the rules by which they can open. And basically if your local, you know, if your local test rate is high, if there's a lot of new cases where your league is, you can't even practice. And then you kind of graduate scientifically from tier to tier to eventually like tier seven is having full matches in front of audiences. But, you know, there's, and there are multiple inputs, um, including if there are any tests positive within your players or league. Yep. But well before that is like, what's your local community like? So, and, you know, and I've shown this to now, a, a bunch, we published it. Like it, it, we've got a bunch and everybody, all those Emory type experts you're talking to are like, now that's how science leads, right? It's basically, we won't have a game unless the science says the game is pretty safe. Right. So that's the data, not the date. Yep. Like this thing where it's completely blind to the Orange County tests, like, well, that's the date, not the data, right? So and we have to, a schedule. To give you the people who are listening at home uh, a sense of, what the rise is in Orange County and Orange County is a big massive land. Um, it does not mean that all the workers that are going to be under this bubble, and by the way, in the 46,000 words that are in this document, the word bubble does not appear once. So they're not using the term bubble, but for our intense purposes, it's a bubble in this bubble. There will be Disney staffers, you know, uh, culinary workers, custodian staff, uh, maintenance staff, housekeeping staff, that are free to go in and out of the NBA's um, bubble, the campus, as long as they adhere to what the Disney protocols are, which is a daily screening when you arrive, like, hey, what, what sort of symptoms have you been experiencing, anything like that, and a temperature check. So if you, if you check in with a 100.3 or lower, you're free to go to work. If you check in at 100.4 or above, you have to retake the test to just confirm the temperature and then you're sent home and you're actually paid for your day's work. I obtained uh, the document that the agreement between Walt Disney World Resort and the union officials about that agreement that was supposed to go in effect June 14th for all their parks. And it seems like from the data that this is what the NBA is going to be subjecting the Disney employees to is actually not subjecting them to much at all, but their own pre-existing protocols. And in Orange County, um, there were 182 positive tests uh, on the 15th. And then I'm going backwards, 178, 167, 130, 125, 121, 72, 73, 54, 56, 44, 41, 38. The 38 was on June 3rd. So 38 on June 3rd, and there's 182 positive tests in that county where a lot of the workers will be coming from. And the thing that the epidemiologists say is a better indication of how much the spread is, you want to look at the percent, percent positive rate. Percent positive is just the number of tests that return positive out of the total number of tests that you do. And yesterday was 8.3%. The World Health Organization has a guideline that says governments should not reopen unless 
their positive test rate comes back 5% or fewer for the, each of the previous 14 days. Here's the percent positive for the previous 14 days or a few days in, in Orange County, 8.3%, 5.7%, 4.9%, 5.8%, 7.4%, 5.9%, and on and on and on. So I guess if you're the NBA, you are, and, and Michelle Roberts told the Associated Press recently that um, it is concerning, but you know what? They want to get the season going. And that is what's scary to me is that there, there, there's an acceptable amount of risk here. And it's clear that the science, or at least the World Health Organization is saying, hey, this, you need to keep positive test rates down below 5% before you open things up for two weeks without it popping up over 5%. And we're just popping up, popping up, popping up over that 5%. And hey, maybe things get better over the next three weeks. But it's, it's pretty scary in the juxtaposition of releasing these health protocols while there's a surge happening in Orlando. That's, that's pretty, uh, pretty staggering. Hey, look, it's a bet on testing, right? Like, I, I, don't, I don't know how to take all of the rest of the protocols, right? You know, there's a rule that says players are supposed to wear masks at all times except for when they're in their rooms or eating, right? come on, like, it's just not going to happen, right? Like, so, so that won't happen perfectly. Um, our new habits in preventing the spread of the virus, which apply to all of us, right, are, you know, when you leave the grocery store, do you wash your hands as soon as you get home or not, right? All these little things are really like how the, like, or, or, or in this case, if players are allowed to go golfing, like, just take the golfing part. You know, do you go to the snack bar and get a beer and a sandwich or not? And if you do, are you wearing a mask? And is the other person wearing a mask? And did you all both wash your hands? Like, if the answer is yes to all that, then I think we all agree it's pretty safe. But these are these little unseen moments, and the whole thing's going to hinge on like the bubble. The, they don't use the word bubble because they don't have a bubble. All these workers coming and going, all these players coming and going. So to me, we're not going to have the ability to just keep the virus out of the bubble. So it really is a bet on testing. And I've been trying to kind of get some expert to just explain, you know, how containable is it in the bubble um, with just testing as your personal defense basically means we know that these little gaps, you know, there'll be a, you, know, you could have the exposure to the virus and be transmitting it for a little while before the test will be positive. So that means there will be some spread. Uh, we just have to guess there will be some spread in a little bit. Like, does it contain it to likely one or two people? Or does that mean we're going to have spread that's going to take off? I don't know, but it seems like the bet is really on testing because all the yes. other stuff is like they're riding buses, you know, they're, not even they're, show they're not showering at the arena. That's good. But like they're playing basketball with each yeah, other yeah this is a confined environment with sweaty heavy breathing you know um, yeah and 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 the the i actually found a little line here it's the occurrence of a small or otherwise expected number of covid19 cases will not require a decision to suspend or cancel the resumption of the 2019-20 season so there's an interesting thing here that they allow like they allow you to play cards with your players, your, your teammates and staff, but you have to get rid of your deck of cards and dispose of them after you play with that deck of cards. And again, we have like sitting here and I'm like, do they have a room, a hotel room just full of playing cards? I hope so. Do you know how, do you know how many playing cards you would need to supply an uh, 22 NBA teams for three months? I know not all 22 are going to be there after three months, but like, that's a lot of deck of cards. We need and to go fund me. There's <laughs> more cards. Yeah, it's it's it, that's a, so many cards. And then they're like, hey, you can't do <laughs> ping pong. You can't do play doubles ping pong. And I was talking to an epidemiologist about this uh, this morning, 
and just like offhand, he's like, I worry that those are things that's going to be window dressing to distract people from the actual, like they're going to be playing basketball without masks. There's referees that are going to be blowing into a whistle without a mask and then grabbing the basketball and passing it. And uh Oh, Greg Popovich just picked up the ball and he's not wearing a mask. And this is all in the name of, Hey, we want to be as safe as possible, but we also need these people to do their jobs. And so it reminds me of the last dance Henry is when like, there's all this data to suggest that Gary Payton really did a good job of guarding Michael Jordan, but he laughed at the video of suggesting that he was making an impact on Michael Jordan. And that was the, that was what owned the room is like Michael Jordan laughing at the iPad is what you remember about that uh, interaction when the science says something totally different. So when we're talking about the NBA resumption, I'm almost like people are going to say, Hey, the NBA is taking this seriously. They're not going to use any decks of cards multiple times. And they're not going to let ping pong players play doubles together. So they've got to be super serious on this. And look, you don't write a 46,000 word document, 113 pages without taking it serious on some level. But there are like, there are things in here that I'm just like, man, First line, first row on the bench, players and coaches are not going to be required to wear a mask. And I'm because it's they can't do their jobs without um, wearing a mask. If you wear a mask as a coach, you can't, I guess, make the play call. But I'm sitting here like, well, then should we be doing this at all? Yeah, it's if you can't um, do your job without wearing a mask in close quarters, then should we be really doing this? And there's this, there's mass confusion in recreational sports right now about like what you can and can't do, and and everybody just kind of is erring on the side of what they do want to do, like me. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, but you know it's once you're watching NBA players, even the ones on the bench not wearing masks, how will any parent stop any teenager from going to play pickup basketball with his friends? Yeah, right. I, it's gonna be really hard. And on top of that, I you know I don't. The New York Times had this big story about they did whatever magic they can do to define the genotype of the different parts of the coronavirus and figure out where it came from, right? And very crudely speaking, rich people fled New York City. Rich people got the virus from visitors from Europe. And then there was news of the virus and they went to, and most of the hotspots in the US at the time they published this were rich New Yorkers fleeing to the rest of the country, right? Including my hometown hometown. of, of Westport, Connecticut, where there's a huge outbreak initially, yes. Um, so this is the NBA bringing 1500 people to Orange County, Florida from all over is, are we going to have a little, are we bringing, is the NBA bringing the virus to Florida? Right. I got, we're, we have to worry both ways, but like, it's, it would be more in keeping with history if these chartered flights full of rich people landing in Florida were the ones that brought the virus more than the ones that uh, caught it in Florida. That That's not sense. something I really thought about. That was one of my questions to them. I was like, are you guys up in the risk? And, 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 then, and then actually a big reason that your um, stats on Orange County really matter is a giant question that I haven't seen answer to is if you have a serious case of the coronavirus and you're an NBA player or a coach or a staffer, where do you get your treatment? If you're on, if you're in an ICU, where's that ICU? Which ICU, right? And this is a giant, giant question. And by the way, if those beds are getting full right now because of those numbers that you're citing, like, 
the NBA has been eager not to compete for resources, right? They don't want to be seen as cutting a line for tests. It's like, what about ventilators, right? Like you're bringing a bunch of people to this, I'm guessing kind of podunk hospital that's going to be a little overwhelmed, right? Um, and now suddenly LeBron, is LeBron going to get preferential treatment in the ICU because he's LeBron? And on and on. It just, there are big risks here. Yeah. And I want to get to the seven week thing is that, um, that they're going to be not allowed to have family or friends visit them for seven weeks, essentially. Most of the, most of the teams, it's seven weeks. And for those who do well, uh, they get their family after the first round of the playoffs. So that's August 30th. They're going to get there July 7th, somewhere around there. That's a long freaking time to not be around your loved ones. It's a long time to be stuck with your coworkers and not be able to see anybody else. And very rarely will you get the time to just like get away and, and see people that you don't know and just kind of maintain your mental stability, right? That is a red flag for me is the idea of, I think a lot of these players are going to be super compliant for the first like couple weeks. And then they're just going to get restless. And then they're like, the guard is going to slowly go down. You break the speed limit when you're 16 years old, just a little bit. And then you're going 65. In a- oh, I just went all four when I was 16. For- <laughs> <laughs> I was a terribly aggressive driver when I was 16. <laughs> like you read these, you read these stories of people breaking the, you're like, how did they ever get to that level of like th- thinking that it's okay? Well, it starts out with a little bit of a, coloring outside the lines and then you you start grabbing the marker and just little by little expanding your risk because you haven't gotten caught and i feel like that's one of the things with the the resumption i get a little worried about is hey uh if a player is doing all the right things for the first two months they might get the henry abbott i have i'm really good at biking i'm just going to try this down downhill thing this jump real quick because i've been really good but uh, i know it's risky but i feel like i've been doing a really good job and then it all falls apart. Yeah, it's, I guess so, it's awkward for me to take the NBA side on this, but let me try for a second. In their defense, like, the number of players will be going down precipitously, right? So, um, you know, as teams get eliminated, they're going to lose uh, eight teams quickly, right? And then there'd be at 22-16. Is my math good here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's six. So <laughs> I'm struggling. <laughs> I'm struggling, Tom. <laughs> they're going to lose six teams quickly. And then eight more, what, 10 days later, however it is, right? Um, so yeah, the players you're talking about will be less than half of the players that start there. So that's good, right? That does it wonders for the coronavirus risk, right? It just the number of people in the bubble is just down. Um, and when those players, when those teams go home, they go home with all their staff too, right? So, um, you know, the odds of somebody, of uh, some sort of super spreader event are just going way down when you get to by the time we get to the conference finals, it's four teams, right? Um, it's just, it, now it's approximating the kind of thing that they're talking about data shows can work, <laughs> right? Where you have a, a three-digit number of people. And, you know, like, I, there, um, where did I see this? But basically, there was a study that if you interact with people who are just very local to you, then the amount of spread is tiny. Um, it's, you know, it's the... You know, and this guy's going to the next town over, and the next town that one's going to New York, and all of a sudden, like the virus can just go everywhere. But if you're, you know, going about your daily business and just go to like the farmers market and back home, like it's actually, if everybody did that, we'd be pretty safe. I've read. So anyway, um, I I feel like they, it'll it'll get better in the sheer numbers of it pretty quickly. But yeah, this thing you're talking about, I mean, I, one of the worst days of my life, to be honest, weirdly, was 
uh, you were you were you were sort of involved. Um, not you didn't make it bad, but do you remember when I was like this uh, free thinking uh, manager type, and I was like, we should split up the last few games of the finals so that we're not all exhausted when the finals end. Yeah, and I was only I was like, I'll go first, and no one else did it. <laughs> and then, and then the finals ended in San Antonio, and I was in Miami, and it was Father's Day. But that meant I had like something like forty eight hours alone in Miami in a hotel room. That's all. It's not the, at the end of the finals, but still not that big of a burden in the big picture of life. But I was just, I spent Father's Day, you know, I was working, but I was just 100% alone in my hotel room. I didn't know anybody in Miami, really. And um, just that much isolation was enough for her to be like, I hate this. Like, yeah. like I, I can't stand it. I just was so desperate to just go home or just go to dinner with someone or just do something. And, you know, these numbers you're talking about, right, where it's, if you're, heaven forbid, you're like LeBron's teammate who loves LeBron and loves championships, but not that into playing this year. <laughs> now you're in the finals and it's freaking been a hundred thousand years of being alone in your hotel room. Like, yeah, I can't imagine. Like a mental health professional on site is nice, but that does not get you your life back. Like, I was just, talking to a coach yesterday who was like, I get crazy cabin fever, just like restless and need to go home to my family after seven days on the road. Yes. The NBA finals are a weird trial for us media, right? Like we're you know, it's two and a half weeks or whatever. And just that much time, planes, trains, automobiles, like, you know, you need like to decompress. You need like a, yeah, that's just finals, one round. And that's what I worry about is like compliance is you get this false sense of security that uh, because you can't see the virus and you can't see it spreading, you just are, it's hard to defend against something you can't see, right? Yeah. And so you'll, you'll be really good. And this is what coaches tell me is like, they're just worried about players and staffers having to throw away the nightlife of the NBA superstars going to clubs, women everywhere that they've just been accustomed to a certain lifestyle. And if they're removed from that, I don't know what their mental health state is going to be or their, their ability to stay locked in to the goal. It's just going to be hard. It's going to be super hard. And I guess the moral of the story is everyone's life is super hard in this pandemic and you're going to have to give up certain things that you held precious before. So suck it up and tough it out. But the Ed Davis quote about like, gotta put your hard hat on and like, you know, it happens and you just gotta deal with it. But like, I, you know, so I, the sex thing is real, right? Like what would be your motivation to break the rules? Right? Like, well, you know, we can guess at this and I don't, I don't want to bring this up because it seems like this kind of racially tinged thing. Like, Oh, black men are these out of control sex machines. Right. That is, not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that I've gotten several calls from people who are who work in the league for a long time who are like, I don't think you understand how much of a worry this is, right? Like, like the as you point out, Tom, like you know, the readily available sex for NBA players is like off the charts, and the notion that everyone's going to be celibate while they're you know, and we talk about their families, but it's like this, you know, there's a lot of cheating in the NBA, right? Like it's you know, someone who's waiting in the lobby or someone meeting in a nightclub or someone meeting on Tinder. And um, so, so the union has taken a lot of positions. They bargained basically for increased player convenience and freedom. And I understand why you would do that. For instance, there's a lot of fuss made over very few of the tests will be the ones that they poke up your nose that really hurt. Yeah. Right? I like that, that the, that the, the punishment for leaving campus is, <laughs> and by the way, not only are you going to lose your money and you're going to have to be quarantined for 10 days, but you're going to get that no, nasty nasal swab. But that's been the emphasis, right? So... There, no one is in the room speaking up for science, right? 
like we got Disney, we got the NBA, which is the billionaires, right? And then we've got the Player Association and nobody is there saying we need the really good nasal swabs, right? There's no one who has that. Well, that, no, that we do not. Right? I mean, it is going to be part of the protocol, right? The, the nasal swabs. We got a document which has clearly been litigated. There'll be a very limited. So somebody yes. was like, we need all the good nasal swabs. And somebody else was like, no, 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 no. Right. And, and so yeah, this is like, like, you know, is Dr. Fauci in the room when Donald Trump is calling the governor of Texas and they're working out what Texas for? It's like, no, like, no, like Fauci is like a gauzy figure in the distance saying mask. And then like, you know, Gov- Governor Abbott's like, no masks. And they're like, okay, agreed. <laughs> right. Like, like, here's where we are. Like we've, you know, like Michelle Roberts' public comments have made clear that she's like, you know, we're, we are not going to lock players in a bubble, right? Like, this is not what's going to happen. And it clearly says you're free to leave. You just have to get a giant quarantine when you come back. Like, but to me, like, there's been understandably a lot of emphasis on freedom, which is, you know, it makes perfect sense to me. But this is the avenue by which anybody's urge to cheat could be exploited, right? So I, I guess I'm saying, it's a long way of saying, you know, it's a giant bet on just personal restraint and you know just keeping your mask on and washing your hands and all that stuff or the test catching everything those are the only two kind of things we have and like if we don't get a we have to get b right and then the tests are imperfect right yeah. um now they have a lot of them so that's good like it, it, and, and to be honest all of this is to say i think it'll probably be fine is my guess like i think they'll have a limited number of positives and just by dumb luck you know what i take issue with is the idea that they've like used science to solve it like no this is not a model like this is not a model. This is a negotiated thing uh, between parties, uh, none of whom were scientists. Yeah, they they do they do cite the public health officials and the medical experts um, a lot in this document in saying we've we've spoken to them, we've consulted with X, Y, and Z, and this is their their recommendations. Um, I actually spoke to two of those epidemiologists I mentioned at the top for the article, and they both said the NBA, generally speaking, is getting the big things right. One. They're sequestering them into one site. Two, they are doing what looks to be either daily tests or close to daily tests and having enough supplies for that. Three, they're putting in lots of protocols for not intermingling. You're not allowed to have other players in your room. You're only allowed to um, shower at your hotel. All these sort of protocols to make sure that there's not a lot of uh, super spreader potential events. All right, let's take a quick break to hear about a podcast that should be in your rotation. This is Mike Tirico introducing you to Sports Uncovered. When I lose the sense of motivation and the sense of to prove something as a basketball player, it's time for me to move away from the game of basketball. Quote, unquote, I'm back. I'm back. The two-word facts from Michael Jordan announcing the most famous comeback in NBA history. That's the most impactful two words ever. Subscribe to Sports Uncovered right now to get the Michael Jordan episode automatically downloaded on May 28th. Now, back to the conversation. The other day, I spoke to Dr. Michael Mina, who is at Harvard, and he sent me basically his, his stance on this, which is, uh, the Disney staffers should absolutely be tested under this bubble. Like absolutely. Uh, if the science or if health is the overall goal, uh, they should be doing the same tests as the, uh, as the players are, because it's not so much of the face to face 
of like, hey, I'm going to buy a t-shirt for my kid from you and I might get the coronavirus from you because you're behind that cashier. And no, it's not that that I think people are worried about. It's just the, you're sequestering them for seven weeks and at some point there are going to be cracks in the foundation there. And the only cracks that can be exploited are the Disney staffers who are there. Is that those are the only other people, the, the people you can meet that aren't in your own little circle here. And so the fact that they are able to come in and out and my, so my brother got coronavirus and had one, like one day of his like really four hard days had a, a temperature. He had a high temperature. Otherwise he was, you know, uh, he had a lower temperature in within normal range. And so I'm thinking to myself, like when he's, if, if someone did have coronavirus and had like chills, didn't have a fever and got into the bubble and is interacting with other Disney staffers, I could imagine that this could spread pretty quickly because of the simple fact that a lot of these coronavirus uh, positive tests are asymptomatic. So are temperature checks enough? Are daily screenings enough of just like a questionnaire? Most epidemiologists that I've spoken to said the NBA is doing a sufficient job here, but it's not 100%. I think that is the message here is that there is a, a, a level of risk that the NBA is taking here. But as you've mentioned before, the most ideal level of risk is zero, and that's not playing any games at all. And that seems to be untenable. And there's like, look, there's a lot of different ways they can play this. Um, if they published protocols and players were going to be tested every day or every other day, then all of these epidemiologists could weigh in on what kind of risk that was. But they didn't do that. They used a fuzzy word. Like, they're going to test them as much or as little as they damn well please, right? They, like, to me, like, they didn't publish protocols. They published rules for players, right? Like, you have to wear a mask when you're playing ping pong, etc. They didn't publish rules for themselves, right? There's nothing. They're not really committed to anything. Lots of tests, you know, like, buses here and there to these hotels. Okay, but, like, but the scientists are like, you know, look, we want to know, like, how many tests are you going to do? And they're like, that, we, we're, can't, we're not committed to that. Right. And to me, like or what kind of mask? That's a big question that I've, I've gotten kind of mask. There's there's face coverings. They say face coverings and masks. But what what types? And like a really on like I, I a, a current NBA front office big wig said to me a month ago, he's like, here's what I'm up at night sleeping about. Uh, oh <laughs> That's not what he said. <laughs> he said, here's what I'm up at night worrying about is um, what if someone dies? Like he's totally not kidding. What are pandemics famous for? death. That's the definition of it, right? There's death everywhere. What we're fighting is death everywhere. And so the NBA is saying, hmm, we think despite that, despite not having a good treatment, in the middle of a death everywhere event, we're going to go ahead and just have a basketball tournament for our own purposes. Like, okay, what are you going to do about death? And like, like, he really wants to know. Like, if one of my employees dies, are we going to shut it down? What if they're almost dead? Like, this is what he wants to know. And on this, they have no answer for him. There's no trigger. What if the local case count skyrockets? What if the hospital's full? What if there's a hurricane and they have to evacuate? And on and on, like, they have committed to nothing. There's nowhere in writing that science just takes over and decency takes over. And, and it's not in Adam Silver's hands or it's not in the Board of Governors' hands. It's just, like, guys, we had to shut it down for decency, like, for, for life. That's not in there. Instead, it's, it is in the Royal Derby plan, right? Like, it is in every plan that doesn't have so much money at stake. But for this one, they're like, we're just gonna we're just gonna hold that one close and we'll let you know. And like to me, that's that's not science. At True Hoop, you've made a your mark on holding 
the league and the billionaires that own these franchises accountable is that one of your missions it appears to me from the outside is, Hey, why aren't more people focusing on what this owner just said or what Tillman Fertitta said on, on CNBC? Like we need to hold them accountable. Like someone needs to fact check this. Someone needs to hold them accountable on this. Why, why do you think that that has been such a big part of your coverage and why do you think that's important? Um, <laughs> well, one answer is because I think I probably like the job I'm best at is uh, managing reporters and like we don't really have reporters, right? Like, so it's me, it's Henry. So I have to use my interests and that's what I'm interested in, right? Like I've been covering the league since the uh, 90 something, 99. And, um, you know, I'm probably not that excited to do a Kyrie Irving profile at this point, right? It's, it feels a little rote, right? So what am I interested in? And then, but also I think underappreciated is there's like a tradition in sports journalism of like, just leave them alone. Just leave the billionaires alone. It's just how it is. Like we, I, we tried a little bit, um, you know, the, the DeVos family has, if you look in like American Spectator magazine when Richard DeVos, the patriarch doesn't really died, like there's this loving tribute of basically like right-wing politics, like the far right wing of American politics was like defined and funded by this family, right? And now we have Black Lives Matter protests, like in reaction, arguably to that, right? Like, is no one gonna connect the two? It's a little weird, right? It's a little weird that like, the players are like, what could we possibly do about the state of American politics? And it's like, well, this guy who owns an NBA team could just dial it back a little. That would help a lot, right? <laughs> like, not to get way off track here. But so yeah, to me, like not mentioning them has been a very strange and weird. I mean, Donald Sterling got a pass for decades. Mm-hmm. He was eccentric. Like what? Even Adam Silver, we now know, didn't think that was the right way to cover him, right? Well, there's a bunch of them, you know, there's, a, there's, there's 30 characters plus, right? And Mark Stevens in the NBA finals on national TV shoved an, an NBA player in a way that the NBA player felt was racist. And he said it out loud in a press conference and he's back. Now Mark Stevens is back. And I'm just like, cool. That makes sense. Makes sense to me. It's like, all you have to do if you're a player, you want to affect Black Lives Matter and Black Rights in America is just do a little homework in the NBA, right? Like, like if Mark Stevens faced real discipline, like, you know, different story. So anyway, yeah. So it, it seems to me like the, the veil has been lifted a little where, you know, uh, also at the same time, you know, there are more billionaires who control more of the global resources than ever. And so if you want to understand like how the Trump White House works, you kind of now have to understand like offshore money and this kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. um, I, you know, you just can't, it used to be like, oh, well, politics is politics and separate. But now it's like, no, no, no. Some of these same people, you know, like some of these same people, you know, that Herb Simon, as the same private banker at Deutsche Bank as Donald Trump, and he owns the Pacers, or he did. Um, and then, so it's like, okay, like we have to understand that now, right? Now, so if we want to understand Trump, we have to understand this private banker. And oh, look who else is there, right? And uh, I, I got me started a lot well, on what, that. But um, what are your thoughts on Kyrie Irving's message, which is we have an opportunity now to own the stage of Black Lives Matter movement as millionaire black athletes who have huge platforms we have a responsibility to make sure that we don't compromise this moment and going into the bubble might be one of those sacrifices we shouldn't be doing is like thinking about how we get this message, right? How we, we own the maximize and capitalize on this moment. And what Atlanta Hawks head coach Lloyd Pierce was talking about on the show is this is, there's no sports to distract us really like when, or that's a great point. When LeBron James and, and the league memo comes out, when, when the league memo comes out, we're talking about safety protocols at Disney World. We're talking about 
playing cards in the in the in the room. We're talking about ping pong and ha ha. Notice what is lost in that conversation is the Black Lives Matter movement. And when the games start going, uh, there's only so much oxygen there for off-court stuff when there's a lot of on-court stuff that people are ma- massively going to be interested in. So what, do you, what are your thoughts on the, uh, the discussion about whether to actually resume the season at all, given the, uh, what's happening in our country? Um, I mean, I thought that – I think there's a moment where um, if you make the right ask, you can get it, right? So what's the right ask? Um, it's tough, and it's different in the NBA and outside the NBA. But, you know, making things better, making change isn't a specific ask. Like, what's the policy you want, right? And um, not for me to say, right? Like, what's going to make, like, what's going to make NBA players feel better about 400 years of racism? Like, you know, I'm a white dork from Oregon. Like, I don't, how am I possibly going to be the right one to speak for that? But um, I will nominate uh, a suggestion I like, which is um, my good friend is an Africa expert and he used to stay at this house when he was going to Sierra Leone where he covered a war there with child soldiers and all this stuff. And then he ended up being someone who testified in the truth and reconciliation commission. And I remember him flying over there. I'm like, like, what is the point of this commission? It doesn't find people. It doesn't punish anyone. It doesn't lock people up. And he's like, no, no, no. Like if your child was murdered by someone who's sitting there and you get to confront them and say, this thing really happened, then no one can, and they have to acknowledge it. Like it, it is a huge thing. You can just, that we all agree it really happened is a great validation that helps the country move on and heal. So that's why, he's, and it took me a long time to sort of understand how that processing works. But I think that a start in the NBA, not nearly enough, but a start would be, has this league been racist? Like, are there racists in the NBA in power right now? Right? Is it is like, we all whisper about the power brokers of the NBA and, you know, this, that, and the other, and Donald Sterling before he was busted, right? Before he was recorded. But to me, like, there's a thing that we do. Every single person in the NBA, the league office, the players, is beholden to a short list of billionaires, and we never criticize them. And to me, like, if you were an NBA player feeling... Uh, James, like you... James Dolan would disagree. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Fair, <laughs> fair, fair. But, like, what really happened? Like, to me, like... You know, the answer is there's never a forum to really air those grievances. There's never, no one's ever really called to account except for Donald Sterling. Um, you know, there are complaints. Maybe it comes up at a conference, maybe on a podcast. But uh, I think I would ask for that if I were players. I would say, look, like, let's, like, how's our league doing? Let's, let's, let's sniff around our own kitchen before we go figuring out the White House and such. One of the interesting things that Adam Silver said in his, uh, in the, like, the commissioner roundtable the other day was, the difference between starting the season and not, or I guess the, the resumption of the season financially and just shutting it all down and not doing a resumption is not as wide as people think. I thought that was interesting. Henry is like, he's, he's willing to say that like, we don't have to do this. Like the, the marginal benefit of starting this season and getting the TV revenue from broadcasting these games is not nearly as big as people suspect. So what do you think he's getting at there? Well, it's super expensive, right? I mean, we, we all see it as a rounding error, but like, you know, all these hotel rooms for months, you know, three, how much do you think it costs for three whole hotels at Disney for months, right? Like, and arenas and everything else. And all these tests, the tests I, mean, I don't know. Yeah. Like, I don't like know how the, much it costs. The test that I got for the COVID was like $130. Yeah, so, I saw New York Times, this is a cover story say that some of them are going to charge $2,200 for a test. So I don't know what the NBA is paying. But, you know, like, yeah, that's millions and millions. 
I, to me, he's saying basically like, <laughs> well, most cynical interpretation is, hey, we're doing this thing to make money in a pandemic, but I don't want you to think it's about a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> um, less cynical would be, um, well, it's maybe just not that lucrative, right? I, 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 I'm sure he's telling the truth here, um, which leads me to Kyrie's other point, which is, do we need these owners? And, you know, it, it was a big conversation in the 2010, in the hallways of the 2011 yes. lockout, right? Which is, could you put on something like the NBA game in a soundstage with high quality cameras and without the stadiums? And then you wouldn't need owners. Because the owners, you know, they, they bring financial stability, allegedly, but this year, not so much, right? Like not Mickey Harrison, not Tillman Fertitta, right? And then they have stadiums. But right now, stadiums are liability and they will be until there's a vaccine. So to me, I'm like, Mm, like, you know, Kyrie might have said that thing about the flat earth a while ago. <laughs> like, he might be generally seen as a kook, and he might not have a lot of NBA players believing him. But, you know, if you were to hypothetically play out the conversation of the, you know, the Billy Hunter days, which is, do we need the owners at all? Like, the answer is right now. Like, what, on what planet does, like, LeBron and all of these very highly rated TV entity players in a hotel in Disney, why would they need to give half the revenue? to absentee owners who aren't even that ready to pay them, right? They're like hanging the force majeure over them. They're basically saying like, we'll give you a little bit of this year's salary for all of this. And it'll make some amount, some, you know, start to the B amount of money for all revenue. Why would you give half of it to these absentees who aren't even there with the hordes of cash ready to back you up, right? It just seems like a lot for the owners to ask if this is the new model. If you're gonna play in, without stadiums, Kyrie's right. Like, I, I, think you could, I think the players could just cut a deal with, they just need a broadcast partner, right? And they, they need a location, but you don't need stadiums. Yeah, and this is one of those things that, uh, that when I did a story a few weeks ago about one-on-one, like the one-on-one yeah. showdown between Shaq and Akeem was this idea like the lockout, we can, this, there's no CBA that we're beholden to anymore. So Shaq and Akeem, they got some, uh, a paper showtime to do a pay-per-view event. They got, uh, interestingly enough, our president, Donald Trump right. to host it at the Taj Mahal in Atlantic city. And it was essentially like a microcosm of what would it look like if players had the power to run a league that it was not authorized by the NBA. And it fell apart at the last second because Akeem Olajuwon, uh, hurt his back. And then, then the whole thing yeah. kind of fell apart. So um, I, I think about that now for these eight teams that are not part of the, the restart is what do those eight teams do now? There's eight, there's something, several, several months of they're not going to be playing NBA games. Well, are there ways that they can make up some of that revenue without having to play NBA games in stadiums? And so it's, it's one of those things that we can talk about down the road or like outside the box thinking about how players can gain a little bit more autonomy or power or, or get a higher share of revenues. Uh, but I do think it's important that uh, people like you and I who covered that lockout is there was a lot of talk about that is yeah. do they really need the owners and those charity games that they were, I went to one at FIU in Miami uh, where LeBron James and Carmelo Anthony and, and Kevin, all these superstars were playing. And it was a packed house and they could charge whatever they wanted. And it was going to fill the stadium. And I was like, wow, that, that seems like a framework to build off of. And then they restarted the season and they were back. So and LeBron's important in this because he, you know, I can tell you from like internet data that most players don't drive a lot of traffic, but he does, right? Um, Steph does, Kobe did. Um, and 
Rondo, and mostly at that time, there'd be maybe a little racism in people saying like, oh, come on. Like if the players ran, it would be a total joke, right? They'd be like, the broadcast quality would be terrible. The facility would be terrible. Blah, blah, blah. But like, you know, these movies LeBron produces now, right? Like, and, you know, and his team, right? But that Braun logo is on some top shelf entertainment, right? That's what basketball is as a, as a business, right? Mm-hmm. It's something that you watch over other things that are available at that moment on your DVR, right? And if it's the game of like getting the right producers and networks of people to make really beautiful things for television, like he does it every day, right? Like this isn't new now. Like it was once. It was a, it was a thing that you couldn't picture players doing themselves then. And that's not true anymore, right? These are, these are major Hollywood motion pictures. Like I, he, you know, and it, uh, yeah, I think that uh, Maverick is in contact every Maverick day. Carter, yep. Maverick Carter, yeah. Who's now, could, you know, one of the Hollywood's most influential producers, right? Yep. But every day, it was like everyone you would need to run this, like as a, as a, as a to, to get the broadcast revenue going, right? He probably gets offers, right? Um, so to me, I'm, I'm a little bit, if I were, you know, uh, Tillman Partita drawing a hard line here. I'd be like, just uh, take it easy, Tillman. You know, <laughs> like, 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 don't yell too hard because they might just decide not to listen anymore. And especially uh, Houston right now is having a, a big rise in coronavirus spread. Yeah. So when, when Russell Westbrook or James Harden or PJ Tucker, they get on that plane, there's a level of risk that might be different than another city. And it is, it is when you see Tillman, Rattita, T- Tillman Fertitta on national tv talking about this uh and knowing that there's an outbreak in or a rise in in his city it is sometimes i just sit here henry and think why are we doing this this seems like this seems like we we know that it's not a worst case scenario but it's pretty close to it of like planning a a season resume in a city that is having a huge surge um it's, it's not the worst case scenario, but I got to believe a few weeks ago, the NBA was looking at Orlando a lot differently than they are today. Yeah. And it's weird. You know, I, I, I don't know about your experts you talked to, but I can't find any who say that we just don't care about the local rate of cases, right? Like, yeah, we do. Like, they're going to have contact. Like, they just are. Um, and, and as you point out, and without real testing in many cases, right? Like, the local community in the form of Disney employees will be in these, in the bubble, and not tested. So, whoops, that's a bummer. Um, what are the what are the last things in this document where you you looked at? Um, what what are some other big swing things that you were like, oh, they did this really well, or oh, I still have questions about that. Um, I mean, I guess again, I'm not a scientist, but the entry quarantine seems a little herky jerky. Um, it's not the same as Epi Udo going to China and being in his dorm room for 14 days with a camera on his door so he couldn't leave, right? Like. Um, this is, you know, the monitoring stuff is interesting to me is the, the ring that they can wear the band, like all of this is, yeah. is kind of in that gray area of over surveillance and treating these athletes like human beings. You know, it's one of those things I was surprised that it was actually in there. Um, but we do know that they have the option voluntarily can wear these tracking devices that can, <laughs> they buzz when you're within six feet, uh, feet proximity of alarm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, but they're man. all optional, right? They're all optional, right? Uh, all optional. Yeah, yeah but players, so, the staff, the league, the league staff are going to be wearing it, but the players have the option to wear it. And I can't imagine a lot of players going to be wearing that thing. So this would be, how did this conversation go, right? This means that somebody talked to one of these vendors with like the ring or the proximity alarm, and they were like, "Magic, we got it solved." 
right? And then they couldn't yeah. get, you know, it was to be a big brother solution, which frankly, as are most of the solutions that work. Bummer that the league doesn't have the credibility. It's like, you know, the, the, the South Korean government had the credibility with certain people to like enact protocols that were then followed, right? Like we don't have that in America, right? We yeah. don't generally believe in our leaders in the same kind of way and including the NBA, right? So somebody was like, oh, like give us all the data and we'll just tell you who has a fever, you know, who coughed, who's close to each other. And then we'll be able to contact trace like crazy. We're going to be ahead of the game. Probably scientifically true, but you have to have the trust to have it happen. And then this is where Michelle Roberts' public comments are like pretty clear that, she, you know, her priority has been not to have Big Brother, not to have incarceration, not to have what Epi Udo had when he went to China, right? You know, so there we are with a hybrid, right? Like we're volunteering to wear the thing that tells you if you have the coronavirus or have a fever, et cetera. Like, okay, <laughs> yay America. <laughs> um, I would have loved it if, if, I mean, in my dream world, there'd be like four bullet points on the wall of like, you know, if the local case rate is X, like if players will agree to this amount, if we have this many tests, et cetera, and like, and once you check off those four boxes, then it's a go then you could have a real safety protocol, right? Instead, it's a little bit of like, ooh, lots of people wanted this and you got 70% of that. And ooh, you didn't get any of that. And ooh, we're ignoring local case rate and let's go. The other thing um, that's interesting, Henry, is the, the WNBA is starting up like a week before the NBA is. Yeah. In, in Florida, in Bradenton, Florida at the IMG Academy. So like, yeah. I imagine the NBA players, from what I heard is, um, from NBA players is they feel like there's a double standard of their protocols and the Disney staffer protocols. And that is a real feeling of slight. It's a real feeling of like, why are we doing this for seven weeks? If they're not subject to the same testing as we are, it feels like a double standard um, in many ways that can be tangentially related to the black lives matter movement, which is just like, why are we held to different standards than everybody? Control else, of my right? body. Yeah. Right. And, uh, yeah. and then I wonder if the WNBA has an outbreak, and they have like five cases on a team and they have to shut things down. Is that a precedent for the NBA? Are they following the same protocols? They're not. Right? Like, I don't know. I, I don't yeah. know about that, but I'd imagine it would be really tricky to argue that one league is able to sustain that kind of outbreak. And maybe they have different protocols, s significantly different protocols, but that gets into really tricky territory too. Oh, it's so tricky. Um, it is owned by the same entity, NBA. And, you know, Christy Oshwinden is like one of my favorite people and she's like really good with the science and she's been following all this very closely and publishing. She actually published a story last week on reopening sports and what are the rules and basketball gets one of the worst ratings. Basically like the experts she talked to her like, just play with people that you live with and no one else because it's just <laughs> extremely high contact, right? Whereas like, you know, tennis, et cetera, um, running, Golf, et cetera, yeah. biking, 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 very safe. Um, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so uh, wait, why did I bring up Christy? Now I'm losing my mind. Um, uh, uh, WNBA uh, protocols. Oh, so her big, her big question, her only question, like her, her leading question based on tons of research was like, well, why won't they play outside? Like it's vastly safer. The wind and the heat? Vastly safer to play outside. Well, they, what, a secondary question is why did they pick Florida, right? So like, but if you, if you decided to play outside, you could play anywhere on the planet, right? This whole bubble could be somewhere where all of these key interactions happen outside. In Florida, you have to be inside, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, but, but this is an, so to me, for the WNBA, at least I was like, it's a smaller number of people. It's a summer league. And I was like, why don't, like, just go play outside. Like, like just go play outside. Go, I don't know where's the perfect place this time of year. Actually, to be honest, the Pacific Northwest is very nice in the summer. Like, it's just mild and sunny. And like, you don't have to go. I, I spent two summers of my college without, basically without going outside. I lived, I lived outside. 
Um, I lived in a tent and went to work outside. You literally lived like, outside. Literally outside for two summers. <laughs> and like, you know, that's, the, that's a very safe lifestyle, right? If, it, if the science is driving, like you're not going inside very much, not for extended periods, not for heavy breathing events, et cetera. Like that was one of my questions to me. I was like, well, you consider playing outside and from the jump, it was like, wah, 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 wah. it's like, yeah, it's a big change. I get it. It's a big change. Like we're considering big changes now for averting death. <laughs> that yeah. to be the reason. I think it looks, honestly, I think it looks weird on TV. I think is one of the big concerns. Like it, it doesn't shoot very well. Um, mm. But no, I, I could see that. Um, also doesn't look good on TV is, is just empty stands probably. Yeah. Yeah. Which is going to be super awkward. And that's for another day. Um, lots of stuff for everyone out there to read on truehoop.com. Go plug your stuff, Henry, because it's really great work that you're doing and I'm glad you're doing it. Thanks, man. Um, our next big story, maybe later today, maybe tomorrow, depending on how the day goes, uh, big Tillman Fertitta stuff. That's funny we brought him up, but um, mm. yeah, there's going to be some Fertitta. And, uh, and today, just so we finish this, I'm going to interview uh, Brandon Greer, who's an NBA agent who had the coronavirus. Mm. Um, he's a young black man, and it was devastating to him. Like he couldn't walk, et cetera, for a period. And we, he, Same with my brother. Great. Same with my yeah. brother. Just, yeah and it's and he's 38 it's years old yeah 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 your brother's okay now though yeah 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 he um he wore that like pulse oximeter uh the little clicker uh that, yeah. that is in the in the protocols um document but um he he he's 38 and said he felt like 88 yeah he it's could not go up and down the stairs could not get out of bed and it sounds a lot like doris burke which she was experiencing when she got uh coronavirus um yeah and one other thing before we, before we go henry is is the NBA going to publish who gets the coronavirus or do they, do they, are they still holding to the, we're not going to identify them? I mean, Adam was pretty clear in that April 22nd quick media call that um, they were done doing that. There had been, I think seven officially announced at that time or 10, depending on the schedule. But um, yeah, he's pretty clear. And I I understand it's a big number now. Um, I don't know exactly, but like, you know, um, one front office executive told me that, you know, oh yeah, on our team, it was like, you know, all these people in the front office and all these players and all this stuff. So I don't know, which is actually great news for the NBA because it'll <laughs> limit the spread of the virus in the bubble. But, um, but yeah, my understanding is that that's just private health information now. Yeah. Uh, the NFL, I think they released, or someone reported that Ezekiel Elliott had it, uh, coronavirus, yeah. and he tweeted out HIPAA question mark. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. I was like, oh man. So um exactly. Well, we this is the first uh reading of the health protocols and the big bullet points here. And uh I there's a lot of good here, there's a lot of iffy stuff, and trusting the experts. Um it's still it there's a lot of people who are like, Yeah, this is this is really good stuff. Um and there's other things in here that are like, ah, I'm, I'm, I'm not feeling so great about it, but um, the NBA is planning to start things up in a few weeks and there will probably be a lot of bumpy roads of, between now and there, but this is a big moment. Uh, Henry, this is one of, where does this rank on covering the NBA? This is number one, the craziest thing that you've covered. This is, oh gosh, I guess so. It's, yeah. it's up there, right? It's up there. Everything is crazy in life now though. Like the NBA part of it's just like a rounding error. You know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Everything's, um, everything's crazy, Tom. Everything's <laughs> crazy. That's the deal. In, including that gash on your, on your arm, apparently. It's yeah. Super crazy. It's pretty good. Um, it's pretty good. All right, buddy. It was great talking right, to man. you. And, Thank uh, you. We'll talk soon. Feel better. Okay.
Thank you. Stop Thank biking. You Please, just take a break. <laughs> it's not normally seen as that dangerous, but here you go. Mountain biking? You're going down a mountain on two wheels. It's as much up as down. You start and finish at the same place. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'll talk to See you, you buddy. Soon. Take care. All right, I want to thank Henry for joining me. Um, that will do it for this week. And there's so much more that we have to get into before the NBA restarts um, next month. But uh, if you haven't yet already, listen to my podcast with Coach Lloyd Pierce of the Atlanta Hawks, as well as my interview with ESPN's Amin Al-Hassan regarding Black Lives Matter movement. Go listen to that. Um, and also my talk with Ryan Saunders, the coach of the Minnesota Timberwolves, before that. Um, really, really good discussions, really timely, and I think you'll find them really, really smart and enjoyable. So um, thank you to Henry for joining me this week. Again, go check out his truehoop.com blog and subscribe. It's really great stuff. And uh, until next time on The Haver Show, please stay safe. Stay safe.